0: Hey everyone uh, Eric from hit subscribe here and welcome back to another edition of the freelancer Q&A Facebook live this week I've got a pretty straightforward question it's just um, should a freelancer uh, maintain a portfolio Um, that's yeah that's really it Um, so if you're not familiar the idea of a portfolio would just be like and you think of a lot of like um, maybe photographer freelancers is having something like this. Or if you're a writer, you might have like a portfolio of your work, an artist. Um, So the idea is basically a portfolio is a series of like representative previous work that you've done that you could showcase, um, and should you have one of those. Now, I think for a lot of people, this would seem like a no-brainer. A lot of veteran freelancers would probably just say, yes, you should absolutely have a portfolio and end the video. Um, What I'm going to do here is not be overly contrarian to that point of view but offer some nuance so to be clear my opinion of this is oh hey dave <laughs> um, my opinion of this is that i think in the beginning the answer is yeah you can it'd be good but you don't have to as an intermediate freelancer yes you should have a portfolio once you are a more established kind of like um, expert business owner if you will i actually wouldn't have one I would do away with it and shift into doing something else. So I'll explain all this reasoning by walking through the stages of a freelancer's uh, freelance career. So in the beginning, uh, when you decide to leave the workforce as an employee and go off on your own, you're not going to have any prior work to put in your portfolio. So how would you go about having a portfolio? And that's what I mean. The answer to that in the beginning can be no. if you do have things that you can showcase, you know, like if it were photography and you had historically done photography as a hobby, then sure, you could put together a portfolio to start. Um, if it's something you know, more like, say, application development or other forms of knowledge work, you might have experience having done work for an employer before, and you might be able to cobble together some experience and call it a portfolio. But I'd be super careful about this, because there's two problems that can happen. The first is, if like let's say you're going off on your own as a freelance writer um if you're like well i haven't done any freelance writing for customers but there's this essay i wrote back in college and like i ranted on social media a bit so i'll just like put that together and you can wind up cobbling together this portfolio of kind of like pathetic stuff like um if you're doing what i just described it would probably be better to just tell prospective business i'm new to freelancing i don't yet have a portfolio than to say like Here's this sad group of things that I'm calling a portfolio. So that's problem one. Problem two is that um, feeling this need to have a portfolio right out of the gate can encourage you to uh, fib or stretch the truth uh, in certain ways. So like, take that same set of experience. Say um, you wanted to go freelance as a writer, but you didn't have freelance writing experience. Well maybe at some point you had, I don't know, submitted an article to Slate and been featured as a guest author or something like that, which that's a cool accomplishment. But if you went and you made it out that Slate was one of your customers, that's a lie. They're not actually a customer. This isn't work for hire you did for them. It's a guest article you contributed. So I guess my point there is if you feel this pressure to have a portfolio right out of the gate, it can lead you to either put together an embarrassing portfolio, or it can lead you to, um, uh, to stretch the truth and both of those in the beginning uh, are, are not those are both like worse ways to go about your life than uh just the completely understandable story that hey i'm new to this so of course i don't have a portfolio yet now um that honesty may be the good ethical thing to do it might not win you the business in the beginning you'll typically have to do um things like maybe you discount your prices early on or maybe you even do some work for a heavy discount or free explicitly in exchange for a testimonial and to showcase whatever you're doing so you might take a couple of really inexpensive writing gigs explicitly telling the person you're doing the writing for like hey this is a introductory kind of price i'm doing my goal is to build up a few things to put in my portfolio um, and then you know if i give you this price or if i do it for free i want you to give me a testimonial all that's valid to do you can like really quickly ramp up that work experience and build out that portfolio
1: Um,
0: another thing i'll say when you're just getting started when you are starting a new business your friends and family your support network is going to be super supportive of you Uh, people like a success story they like you going off on your own so they will try to refer friends and family of their own to you for business people will try to help you Uh, again take advantage of that early kind of like friendly stuff uh, to build that portfolio like be thinking of that from the beginning so that those first few gigs that are easier to come by become the seed of the portfolio you're showing to future um, prospects that maybe don't know you. So in the beginning, I wouldn't worry about having a portfolio. If you can cobble together a credible one, an honest one, then yes, by all means do it. It will help you uh, land work, especially if you're um, generalizing and competing against other people for the business. Uh, But if you can't, don't force it, don't fake it, don't do that, Um, you don't want to kick off on the foot of being like dishonest or pathetic, that's not a good way to start your new uh, business. Um, once you're an intermediate freelancer, like advanced beginner intermediate, you've been doing it for a little while, you should have built a portfolio by now. And this is kind of no brainer territory. The portfolio will help you. So if it's you and a few other generalist technicians in your field and you're all um, kind of vying for the same work, you've got a nice looking portfolio, the competition does not that's definitely a point in your favor for when you're um, bidding on work it's good for labor brokerages like if you're on upwork to be able to point to like a portfolio of past history um, to let them browse it see what it's like to work with you all of this is good put it up on your website it makes for good marketing you can direct people to your website to check it out so uh, yes i would definitely have a portfolio there i might even say that when you're at the intermediate stage of this it's maybe table stakes now as you go beyond intermediate this is where things are going to get a little bit nuanced and you're going to get a lot of my own personal business philosophy that might disagree with veteran freelancers but once you're beyond that intermediate stage i would suggest that you um, get away from having a portfolio i think that at this point it starts to become a crutch and it becomes a limiting factor in growing your business beyond just kind of renting your labor to people and into building a business where you have equity and I'll get into explaining that kind of in detail. So to understand what I mean here, a portfolio is what I like to call performative content. And um, if you're wondering what that means, maybe the best um, parallel example, the most iconic, uh, ubiquitous form of performative content is the resume. And so I think in performative content is content, it's things that you create that don't have any real value to anybody. Like they don't entertain or educate or inform people in any meaningful way the person consuming that content isn't consuming it for their sake rather you're creating content whose only purpose is to invite somebody to give you a grade to um, evaluate you and showcase yourself so it's almost like an advertisement i guess would be a piece of performative content but the resume is the classic example of this you create a resume and you start sending that out, I promise you nobody finds that interesting or entertaining or anything. It's just purely so they can read it and compare you to a bunch of other similar interchangeable potential hires and then make a decision. So there's no real value there. Um, Critically, the nature of performative content, like the sort of implied um, transaction that happens is you create this content, this resume, this portfolio you give it to somebody and you invite them to evaluate you and give you a grade so your goal with your portfolio is to be an a student in your buyer's eyes as compared to the other generalists you're competing against who maybe are b plus students so you're creating this really nice like awesome portfolio so that the um client the customer the prospect is giving you a better grade than your competitors the thing is um to continue that metaphor, you are casting your client as the professor, the teacher. So they're the superior, you're the subordinate, and they are deciding among you and your competitors who is worthy of like being their student, but you're going to retain that relationship. They will have this kind of conceptual upper hand. They will be cast as kind of your boss almost. Um, and crucially, they'll always be in a position to evaluate your work. Is your labor good? Are you producing good things? Do they like it? So if you submit a portfolio to a customer and you say, I am an expert at um, designing websites. Here is my portfolio of websites I've designed. Take a look for yourself. The natural thing that you are inviting the prospect to do is say, well, I'll be the judge of that. And you're right. I mean, you're or they're right because you're inviting them to grade you, hopefully give you an A, and then hire you because you're a good student. Um, the reason I drag all of that out is to set the stage for what it's like to become an expert in a business owner and to draw a contrast between what it's like to be kind of a generalized laborer so this isn't just like you know a peeing contest uh, to see who's like more important in the relationship. It's not um just subtle office politics that's wonky it really matters and the reason it matters is because um when you're looking to establish yourself in an industry and ideally i've talked about this before i'll um, link somewhere uh uh, when this is on youtube uh, but you want to specialize you want to become an expert it would be good to be more of a consultant than a laborer over the long haul for the sake of building a business you want people paying you for what you know how to do for your advice more than you want them paying you as a rental pair of hands all of that specializing getting away from being a generalist uh, commanding you know more money in what you do um, getting away from trading time for money all of these things are really tied up with the relationship that you have with your buyers if they are the expert in your labor and you are laboring to please them you will never be cast as that consultant that expert commanding those premium rates if on the other hand you change the nature of that relationship and you become the expert they hire you to tell them what to do, the way it works with a consultant. Now you have a wholly different relationship. And I think that that's critical for building an equity business, meaning um, as long as you're laboring, as long as what you're selling is, I build websites in technology XYZ, or you're selling I take photos, or you're selling I you know, draw things, or I write content. All of that is labor, and it becomes up to the buyer to evaluate the nature of your labor. Now, if you're serious about building a business, what you're going to do is you're going to start to, while you do labor for customers, understand what's motivating them. So like, think of, let's say say you build websites. And um, you have a portfolio of nice-looking websites that you've built. They're responsive. They have good CSS design. They have logos that pop the whole nine yards. They're beautiful websites. And you go in your town to the guy that owns the Lebanese restaurant. And you say, hey, um, I could build you a nice website. That guy might be interested in that, because let's say that um, he's getting killed by the other Lebanese restaurant in town who has an internet presence. And when people Google Lebanese food, they find that second restaurant, but not your customer's restaurant. And maybe um, you could implement some online ordering for him, and he could then reduce the number of staff he has to have, like manning the phones. So those are his motivations. That's what he ultimately cares about. But if you go to him and you say, I build websites, I can help you build your website. Look how pretty my websites are. Look how well I do labor. Wouldn't you say I deserve an A? On some level, he can aesthetically appreciate websites, and he might say, yeah, those are pretty good. I don't know that they're the best. Suddenly, he's the expert in website building and not you, because you're teeing it up for his approval. Whereas if you were to go to him and say, look, I've been building websites for small mom and pop type restaurants for a long time, saving them headcount um, in terms of the staff taking orders, and getting them placed on search so that you get more customers in the front door now you're starting to say magical words that he really cares about which is less headcount to answer the phones more customers in the front door what you really want to do if you're going to build a business is become an expert in getting fewer people answering the phones and more customers in the front door you don't want to build pretty websites you want to deliver results so when you are relying on a portfolio you're asking other people to tell you that your stuff is pretty when you start to become a specialized expert you are partnering with people to deliver results so now if you are the town's expert on building websites that reduce phone answering headcount and bring in more customers you don't need a portfolio for that you could just stand up a few testimonials on your site from somebody with the chinese restaurant that says wow you know we were able to um You know, reduce the number of staff that we have on hand and we had like a 40 percent increase in customers through the front door as long as your prospect believes that testimonial believes that you delivered that result and that you can do it again there's no grading you you are now the expert in bringing traffic into their front door so they're not coming to you and saying i think your stuff is pretty they're coming to you and saying help i need more traffic you're the expert in bringing in foot traffic through uh, having a web presence you tell me what to do Now, that business is a much better business to own than a pair of hands for hire freelance business because think about what you can do. If um, building a website is part of the equation, sure, you can build a website, but remember, now you're selling an outcome. You can um, subcontract the building of the website to somebody and focus more on sales and building up other areas of your business and other expertise. For instance, maybe you start to audit um, how they're staffing their phones and you say things like, hey. You've got two phone answers on staff all evening, but after six o'clock it goes dead. You can let one of those people go at six and just you know have one uh, stay until 10 o'clock when you close. So you can start to become an expert that gives different forms of advice that aren't labor or technology dependent. And then you can start training and hiring other people to fill in and help you with those pieces of service delivery. You can focus on scale, sales and scaling up your business. And most crucially, If you're coming from a freelance world where you're doing um, labor for hire you tend to be on a treadmill like you have to keep up with the latest versions of react and css and whatever people use to design logos every time a new version of those things comes out you have to go learn it on your own time so that you can keep up with um, other generalists building websites whereas if you are building this expert-based business the restaurant owners aren't going to go out and kick the tires and run you and three other people through the paces if they believe that you can get them an outcome and bring them more traffic they are going to hire you without calling anybody else so you have this business in which you can build equity and expertise you can get off the laboring kind of treadmill there and you can um, you know not be commodified not be competing with people so all of those are really pretty advanced business concerns if you're just starting freelancing all that sounds like it's making your head swimming uh, totally understood What I would take away from this isn't so much that you need to understand how to build an equity business on the back of your freelancing practice, but more to understand that a portfolio is a good idea if you can do it in the beginning. It's kind of table stakes. It's important when you're advanced beginner to intermediate. Once you're intermediate, you should think about a path where you're not selling people on the idea that they're giving you a grade, where you're not performing for them and trying to demonstrate that you're the best generalist laborer compared to all the other ones you want to chart a path away from that. So over the long haul, not only do you not need a portfolio, I would get away from having one. It's a crutch, and it's going to be limiting to your business. So hopefully that helps. Um, you know, this is a fairly contrarian point of view. So whether it's here on Facebook Live or on YouTube, um, and you disagree, you know, let me have it in the comments if you want. Um, but you know, hopefully everybody finds it interesting. Hopefully it helps some of you. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you next time.